Oh, a wondrous bird is the pelican. His bill holds more than his belly can. He can take in his beak enough food for a week, but I'm darned if I know how the hell he can. If you're an old person, you're probably pretty familiar with that, especially if you are really old, because that's from 1910, a humorist named Dixon Lanier Merritt. I guess he just, you know, thought pelicans were, were interesting. And you know what? He would have been right, because they actually are super interesting. Have you ever been outside, and you, you kind of look up at the sky, and you see what looks like just a horde of pterodactyls flying through the air? Which, by the way, real quick, pterodactyls are not dinosaurs. They're pterodons. Those are flying reptiles. Different thing. So, heck, maybe we'll talk about that on a future podcast. Who knows? Devin Boger here. This is a wildlife. I wanted to read a uh, rating really quick here. We got another five star rating. Really appreciate that. It says, These guys are amazing and personable. I especially enjoy it when they have an animal guest. Well, we enjoy that too. Now, when you rate our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you rate it on, you actually help to boost it, make it more visible for people. Uh, make it easier to find. So when you do that, we really, really appreciate it. So if you listen, even once, even one episode, even half of an episode, if you could go in, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, we'd really appreciate it. Now before we get into it, I'd also really like to thank everyone who supports us on patreon.com slash the wildlife. When you do that, you make everything that we do uh, feel important um, feel validated, uh, justifies the amount of time that we put towards things, um, especially all of our planning. Um, you know what, you know what, uh, Richard and I were talking the other day on the phone. We have two years, two years. We have two years worth of topic ideas and, uh, uh, themes and things like that, uh, listed out that we are either already planning or is on the list of things to plan. So we have two years. That's like already knowing that one of your favorite shows is renewed for two more seasons. You know it's going to be around. You know the episodes are coming. Here's the thing though. It only works and we can only do it. We can only make it a reality with your help. So by going to patreon.com slash the wildlife, you can support us for as little as a dollar a month. When you do that, you get all sorts of cool perks like stickers of impossible power that you can slap on a Nalgene or your MacBook or whatever you want to do to show your, you know, originality. Uh, we have coffee mugs, uh, all, all kinds of really cool stuff. We'll even make you art. Yeah, that's a whole thing. A whole thing. We'll send you a postcard with a doodle on it and even make you some art. How many podcasts that you listen to do that sort of a thing for you? Very seriously, we love and appreciate all of you so much, um, and it's the least that we can do if you are, you know, able to to show your love and support uh, in that way. Okay, let's get to it. So, uh, last year, last year, uh, my wife and I and our our one son at the time we have two now, 
um, we were visiting my family down in, in the great state of Texas. So uh, for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know that Richard, he lives in Houston. I live up in Minnesota. So we do our podcast um, and planning and, and everything, you know, like 1400 miles apart from each other. So logistically, it's always pretty interesting, but we make it work. Um, but my family's down there. We're, we're visiting. It's, it's the hot summer. They live about 20 minutes inland from, well, I mean, the Gulf Coast. And while we were there, we were sure to, you know, try and get as many excursions out to Galveston Island as possible. And one of those excursions was a boat trip, which ended up being far more of an adventure than any of us intended after some uh, boat trouble uh, left us, namely my dad and I, having to paddle to a seawall and then hop up on it and tow the boat via rope along the edge like some sort of real-life American Ninja Warrior course until we were fortunately passed by a boat that was actually captained by a boat salesman, so it was kind of the perfect opportunity for him. Uh, he, he towed us back to our launching point, so it all it all worked out. Mind you, it was incredibly hot, like super, super hot. I mean, Texas hot. My wife was blasting Hive the Tiger in the background. She said for motivation, um, it sort of motivated me. I think it more annoyed um, Richard and, and my dad, but who knows. And it probably felt a heck of a lot more like American Ninja Warrior than it really was. But either way, it was an unforgettable experience, and I wouldn't change it for the world. But before that boat trouble began... We were gifted with this graceful show in the sky as brigades of brown pelicans soared up and down invisible sloping wind currents. If ever a scene were more worthy of that Welcome to Jurassic Park soundtrack, you know, da na 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 na, as these prehistoric looking creatures, unflappable in the strong ocean winds, pun intended by the way. In fact, a pelican is shown flying away from Isla Nublar at the end of the first film for you diehard Jurassic Park fans. You probably already knew that. Pelicans are particularly fascinating and a very peculiar bird. They're a relic of sorts. They've barely changed in the last 40 million years, and to put that into context, they were around 30 million years before the first human ancestors. That probably doesn't actually help put anything in context because those numbers are so large. Probably not helpful. Let's just say it was a very long time. So long ago, pelicans reached this evolutionary optimum. They became so well adapted to their environment and lifestyle that they simply haven't needed to change much more. The United States, we have two species of pelican that call it home. There's the American white pelican and the brown pelican. I know, creative. The American white pelican, that's the only pelican we have back up here in Minnesota. It doesn't live here year-round. In fact, only around 25 species of bird are year-round Minnesotans. I wonder why. It's not like the winters are harsh or anything. The white pelicans migrate from the Gulf Coast every spring, and they return every winter. They take a 1,500-mile flight, gliding much of it with their 9-foot wingspan, twice a year every year for their entire 30-year lives. The brown pelican, however, can be found on the Gulf Coast and others year-round. Of course, Neither of these pelicans are restricted to either Minnesota or the Texas Gulf Coast. There are a number of differences between the two as well. Let's start with the brown pelican. It's Pelicanus occidentalis. The brown pelican inhabits entirely coastal lands. On the east side, they range along the Atlantic coast from Nova Scotia down to Florida, along the Gulf of Mexico, and then down to Central America, 
and south to the Amazon River. On the west side, they range along the Pacific coast from British Columbia, around the Yucatan, down Central America, and southward to Chile. Unlike the American white pelican, the brown pelican is one of only two pelican species that dives for its food. It's a pretty cool sight. They kind of do their gliding through the air, and then this sudden dive bomb, full speed, breakneck speed into the water. It will soar 60 feet over the ocean surface where it can spot fish from above before entering this dive. It pierces the water's surface like a torpedo, and it's a miracle. Well, maybe not a miracle, it's anatomic genius that they don't break their neck on that breakneck injury. Then there's the American white pelican, Pelicanus erythrorhynchos. The Greek for that basically just translates to red-billed pelican. Pelicanus, pelican, erythrorhynchos, rhynchos like rhino nose, the erythro being the red, red nose, red-billed pelican. The American white pelican has a far more extensive range. Some populations in central Mexico and on the Texas Gulf Coast remain there year-round. Otherwise, many American white pelicans spend their breeding portions of the year in the north. The northernmost colonies can be found in northern Alberta. Alberta? Alberta. Alberta, Alberta. Potato, potato. Potudu. Doesn't matter. As winter approaches, the pelicans begin migration either to southern California along the Gulf of Mexico or even down into Central America, depending on where the original breeding colony was located. Aldo Leopold once wrote of their fall departure in the Sand County Almanac, one of my all-time favorite books, and he said, Let a squadron of southbound pelicans but feel a lift of prairie breeze, and they sense at once that here is a landing in the geological past, a refuge from that most relentless of aggressors, the future. With queer antediluvian grunts, they set wing, descending in majestic spirals to the welcoming waste of a bygone age. But why make such a journey? Why not just spend your whole life on the Gulf like brown pelicans? It can be confusing considering pelicans are most strongly associated with oceans in our culture. There are brown pelicans which live on the American coast year-round and never leave. On the coast, the appearance of white pelicans in the winters doesn't really surprise anyone. Is it that they're leaving home to go breed elsewhere, or is their journey south more equivalent to the winter migration of retirees to the Florida Keys? Depends on how you look at it. Since home is where the heart is, or where your family is, I'd personally consider the snowbird analogy the most fitting considering the north is where they breed, nest, and raise their young. Either way, the southern migration is an annual event to the delight of birders across the country. In the springtime, white pelicans begin their journey home, gliding on warm air currents with their long, strong, stable wings tipped in black. As they arrive, they begin regrouping in massive colonies. The largest colony in North America can be found on Marsh Lake in western Minnesota, one of two colonies in the state. The one on Marsh has nearly 17,000 nesting pairs of pelicans, or 34,000 individuals. That's on one lake, scattered on just several large islands. When you congregate in numbers like that, there's no doubt that pelicans are social birds. They fish together, they fly together, they nest together, they rock out together. You almost never see one alone. They even hang out with other species. Cormorants are often found in pelican colonies along with herons and egrets. American white pelicans and double-crested cormorants are most commonly seen together, and they even sometimes forage together. 
though they mainly hunt different fish and at different depths. It is thought that cormorants' diving behavior helps to scare some fish towards the surface of the water where pelicans are just ready and waiting. When it comes to nesting, pelicans aren't exactly picky. They prefer islands in the middle of lakes since they nest on the ground. Or maybe they nest on the ground because they nest on islands? Sort of a chicken or the egg question that someone has probably answered. Also, let's just settle that chicken or the egg debate. Clearly, the egg came first because of the biological mechanism of the egg came way before chickens did. So, you know, whatever. Anyway, this makes it less likely that their nest will be scavenged by a predator. Let's say you're a pelican pair of future parents. You and your partner must set out on a search for the perfect piece of real estate in the colony. It's free real estate. If you're a pelican, the perfect place is a flat spot on sand or gravel. You and your partner get to work, you use your bills to rake up the surrounding dirt, reaching out beyond where the future border will be, and pulling it inward to create a short wall. The resulting nest looks like a small crater, nearly two feet wide with a six-inch rim. If vegetation or other materials are within reach from the center of the nest, they'll find a place to use them, but otherwise nests remain simply constructed. After all, once they start building, they don't leave boundaries of the nest to grab any supplies. They kind of box themselves in. It actually reminds me, for all you millennials out there, that Drake and Josh thing of, Drake, where's the door? What? The door hole. That, you know, that whole part. Anyway, after that, the female will lay two eggs. Just two. One time per year. That's not much of a chance. Laying so few is part of why their populations have a hard time at recovering after a large loss. She'll incubate those eggs for 30 days. Fun fact. Strangely, American white pelican embryos sometimes squawk before hatching. It's thought that this is to express discomfort if conditions get too hot or too cold. Can you imagine if humans, like human babies, did that in the stomach? Like, they, like, screamed and you could audibly hear it when they were uncomfortable. I guess if they did do that, it wouldn't be that weird to us. But, you know... I, for one, think the whole idea of being cooped up in an egg for 30 days sounds kind of unbearable. I'd be squawking, too. Pelican chicks aren't like, say, ducklings, which are pretty much good to go right after hatching. Something called precocial. Instead, pelican chicks are what we call altricial, meaning they require parental care like humans. By one to two weeks of age, the chicks begin to crawl. By three, they can walk with their body off the ground and can swim, sometimes around the inside of their parents' pouch to practice fishing, which is just so cute. Older chicks move up to running, then running with flapping their wings, and by the age of nine to ten weeks, they can fly. They can fly. They can fly. This has got to be a relief for the parents who have had to provide 150 pounds of fish food to get them to this point. You see... When they can fly, that means they can begin to forage on their own, and that's where we really get to start to see all of their amazing adaptations, which brings us back to that old limerick, oh, a wondrous bird is a pelican, you know, the one at the top of the episode. One line in that limerick particularly stands out. His bill can hold more than his belly can? We'll come back to that in a moment. First up, the wings. Pelicans have wingspans of up to 10 feet. Their wings are broad and angled, perfect for gliding and riding air currents. You might not think that their coloration would have much to do with the function, but the black tips contain high amounts of melanin. Yes, that same melanin that's in your skin. And it strengthens the wingtips, protecting them from damage from sun and salt water. Their feet are webbed, of course, perfect for paddling and easy breezy trolling speed along the top of water. And then there's the bill, such a 
fascinating appendage has spawned so many stories such as how pelicans reportedly use their pouches to collect rainwater and how gulls sometimes sit on top of a pelican's beak and reach in to swipe prey <laughs> little jerks at nearly a foot and a half long the bill of a pelican is the longest of any bird the bill's main function and probably what drove its evolution is that's a fish catcher but it has a multitude of other uses from excreting excess salt by oozing out a highly saline solution to advertising its maturity and reproductive potential by growing a two-inch high horn on top like a rhino. Another well-known quirk to the pelican's beak is the pouch. It's capable of holding the liquid equivalent of two flushes of a toilet, so, you know, like two to three gallons of water. Contrary to what Finding Nemo might have you think, pelicans do not fly with water in their guller or their pouch which, like I said, can hold one to three gallons of water. Three gallons of water, that's 24 pounds. Could you imagine being a bird with mostly hollow bones trying to fly with 24 pounds of extra weight just in your mouth? No. Instead, what they do is they dip their bills into water and they quickly expand their pouch. It creates a suction which pulls water and fish in like a vacuum. Then the pelican contracts its pouch, which forces the water out and the fish down the hatch. Though the bill is rarely used in fights, the birds are not above jabbing at one another or getting into fencing matches during the breeding season. The bill is also highly sensitive, which in murky water or at night allows a pelican to fish by touch alone, useful when some pelicans have to catch four pounds of food daily. The beak is smooth along the edges, quite useless when trying to grab a slippery fish. All is not lost, though. The pelican has a mean hook called a mandibular nail at the end of its beak important in nabbing or killing prey. It's also used to preen and intimidate predators, competitors, and overzealous ornithologists. Okay, so back to that limerick. Now you know a pelican can hold three-ish gallons, 24 pounds, in his pouch. Well, the limerick is sort of correct in that pelican stomachs can hold about a third of that, one gallon, or eight pounds. While the pelican can technically fit a substantial amount more, it can only fit so much in its stomach. A small amount extra can be stored in the esophagus for a time, but otherwise the pelican doesn't eat much more than the stomach can physically hold. Pelicans do not have a TARDIS for a stomach. It is not bigger on the inside. Because of their aquatic nature, pelicans face a great many threats, especially when down south. Oil spills have potentially caused pelican declines, and fishing gear such as hooks and nets are frequent enemies of these birds. It's not just the hooks that can cause damage either, but, but the lead found in many fishing weights and lures. But there is hope. Pelicans hit their lowest population levels in the mid-70s. But since then, they have been on a slow and steady rise in the past 40 years because of combined international efforts to stop using DDT and by spreading awareness of the importance of wetlands and other crucial habitats. We are incredibly fortunate to have pelicans in our lives soaring the skies like some sort of relic of a bygone era. I think with that, it's about time to wrap it up, but before we go, some powerful, beautiful, engaging, riveting, insightful, poetic words from the immortal Nicki Minaj. I said, excuse me, you're a hell of a guy. I mean, my, 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 you're like Pelican Fly. Okay, for sources, you can check out the description of this episode. Also, for the link to support us on Patreon.com, that will also be there. Um, 
And just as a reminder, we are only, I think, six more episodes away from our revamp of this whole this whole podcast, where we are going to be on a weekly release schedule. We're going to have a lot of different guests. We have a lot of people kind of in the pipeline uh, working on interviews, uh, working on uh, scheduling things out, selecting the best dates for things. Um, also, we're just now kicking off in September uh, our, our hiking series in collaboration with a central Minnesota-based nonprofit organization called Hike Hoppers. Uh, so the second Saturday of every month, I will be hosting a hike in central Minnesota Details on that can also be found in the podcast description. All right, see you next time.